hit record and I started walking towards the chair. And uh, I realized I wasn't wearing my watch. And as a person with no tattoos, no sleeve tattoos, I got to be wearing my watch. Otherwise, I'm wearing nothing. Otherwise, it's just, you know, we already feel very naked out here. So... So I had to stop and go get my watch. Gonna do a little lens wipe like normal. Welcome to this week in sparkling water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I am the host of this week in sparkling water. First, let's talk about something that I'm that I was thinking about. Oh boy, as I am approaching this topic, I'm realizing it's like, this is about to be just wonderful, thinly sliced strips of narcissism. This is about to be pinnacle narcissism. But what I was, what I was going to say is that there's this thing, oh God, I just don't think that this next sentence that I'm going to say here is cool. I just think it's it's like narcissism is not cool, and then if you really lean into it, it can be like kind of interesting, but then you can punch through even that layer and get to another layer. Triple reverse narcissism, which is so where you're back to it being not cool. And I think this I think this next statement is that. But so there's this little bit of a um feel like I return on the podcast, I feel like I return to this question of like, what is the podcast? And I list off different things like <clears throat> I really enjoy it as a time capsule of just like I just want it to be this space where I just talk through what I talk about because I really wonder what I was – I talk through what I think about because I really wonder like 15 or 20 years ago, what was I thinking about in like my day-to-day? And all I have are these like little shreds that feel like there's really something separating me from that person. And then this is just a way to record that. And then – um Honestly, it's very nice to just feel a little bit connected with people <sighs> as an antidote to having moved around a little bit too much and too many of my people are far away and it's just fun to sit down for an hour and, and talk about stuff and then people far away send me messages and I feel a little bit connected to them. But so there's this new idea that was presented to me in the last couple of days that I I, I think it's really funny because... <clears throat> It's never, I never thought of it myself. Um, but so I have frequently on the podcast talked about prayer. And whenever I say that, Dr. Luke always says that I pronounce it wrong. I do like the wrong number of syllables in the word prayer. 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 Um, but that's neither here nor there, the number of syllables. Uh, what fascinates me with it is like the, I just think that the human brain, that it, that it fits really neatly. It just comes real natural to the human mind, praying. The idea of just like, you, you can even tell a child to do it. And even a child can pick it up very quickly. It just comes real easy to you. Let's see if we're even recording. And we're recording. So, um, even as a child, you can like be told to like, just sit down maybe on your knees at the end of your bed and just like clasp your hands 
and then just come up with a narrative where you're speaking to your God. And um, maybe it's in the form of thanking him for something. Maybe it's in the form of asking for something. But really, it's just this beautiful exercise of crystallizing out your own thoughts and clarifying to yourself what's on your mind. And it's um, Asher, a man I've never met, who was introduced to me by uh, Dr. Luke as someone who could (sighs) create the intro music and who I have then kept talking to and who listens to the podcast and then comments this, that the podcast is a little bit like that because it's, it's just me sitting in a room, just sort of clasping my hands and just sort of like imagining that there's, (laughs) imagining that there is a a listener. Oh God. I feel so embarrassing to say not just because all of this is weird narcissism but i don't know anyway um um when he said that first of all i thought it was very interesting because it's just maybe true that maybe the part of the brain that is engaged when i'm doing this is the same part that's like if you did a ct scan or a brain activity scan of like a christian praying and a (laughs) A podcaster podcasting. Maybe it's the same centrum in the brain that's, that would light up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> that's how they say it in the movies. Oh my God, that part of his brain lit up like a Christmas tree. Um, but the thing that um, I thought of actually when he said it was more a different thing even, which is like, because I do this, I do this podcast and I talk and I imagine that someone is listening. Or I don't even know. It's not like I'm imagining. I, I, I don't know. It's vague. But anyway, I, I send it out into the internet. And the thing that I thought of when he said it was how um, prayer comes easy to the human mind. But the concept of God also comes easy to the human mind. Even though, like, it's presented like this. It's like... It's something you can't see, and it's not like in this, it's not here, and you can't see it or touch it, but it's everywhere. And somehow, even though that's like a contradictory and like almost nonsensical string of statements or like properties of this concept, even though that's like shouldn't make sense to people, it like very easily makes sense to human beings. It just is a concept that comes real easy to us. Uh, so you make some shit up and, and you you ascribe it to something like that and that just gives it legs. But um, then when, when Asher says that my podcast is almost sometimes in the form of a prayer, it's like, um, it made me realize how that concept, uh, maybe this is not that interesting actually. Um, it made me think how uh, the thing about God or like God fits into a slot in the brain that's like was always there. Like we already had this easy ability to conceptualize something like that. But the internet fits into the same slot as the God slot. 
because the internet is just the same, has the same properties. It's just a thing that, look, bro, you can be someone who doesn't even think about it or and has no understanding of it, or you can have a little bit of an understanding of it and know that, like, the internet has a physical location. Like, the internet is in a, a server farm in Arizona, you know? The internet is in a server farm somewhere. I pay 49 bucks a year to GoDaddy.com and then they subcontract out to someone that just has racks and racks and racks of servers and hardware space. And, you know, somewhere where electricity is cheap. Somewhere next to a hydro power plant. Somewhere next to a nuclear power plant in the Ozarks. Um, land is cheap, power is cheap. Um, and then when you go on the internet and you input something, you're really inputting an IP address and that probably goes to Europe. I really feel like the Europeans are the people orchestrating the whole thing. And you really connect, you're really asking the Europeans, where am I trying to go? And then the Europeans point you to the server farm and the Ozarks, and then you connect somewhat directly to that. And then you get the internet. The internet has a physical location, but disregarding that because that's not experientially the internet does not have a physical location experientially it's more like it's everywhere and there's something inescapable about it which reminds me of <laughs> it reminds me of this line from broad city where this middle-aged lady with a neck brace says, it's a comedy show and they say a lot of absurd things and this middle-aged lady in a neck brace, she just points to the camera and she angrily goes, I was cyberbullied within an inch of my life last night. And I think that's one of the funniest lines. Just even out of context, I just think it's one of the funniest I was cyberbullied within an inch of my life last night. First of all, it's somehow funny that she's middle-aged because if she was a teenager, it wouldn't be funny because it would be too real. <laughs> it's, it's also funny because she seems not put together, but she just seems like she's dealing with something totally different now in the show. It's also why it's funny. But... um She's like a real estate agent and she's got a neck brace and there's all this shit. But it's like, even the concept of people committing suicide from cyberbullying feels absurd. But it's one of those things that's just like, yeah, it's the opposite of this thing I'm saying about how how it, that we understand it real easily. We just don't understand it real easily. That's the thing that's true and we don't understand it easily, which is like the opposite of prayer and God. Like prayer and God are made up things that don't make any sense, but for some reason, our understanding of them just comes real easy to us. But cyberbullying is not like that. Cyberbullying feels like that doesn't make any sense. If you're being cyberbullied, just turn your phone off. But that's the thing. Saying just turn your phone off to someone who's being cyberbullied, it's just like telling someone, oh, you're worried about the judgment of God? Just turn your phone off. You know? 
there's something about the judgment of God slash the internet that feels very inescapable. And it doesn't matter if you like leave before a week and don't bring your phone. If they see mean things about you on the internet. <laughs> Which reminds me of that Billie Eilish song. Happier than ever where it's such a nice song. It's such a nice song that has an, a beginning part, which just feels like Billy and a ukulele. And then it has this weird key shift. And then it's like this screamy rock song, a screamo emo song. And the best part of the screaming part is like, she goes like, I don't relate to you. Cause I would never treat me this shitty. And I don't talk shit about you on the internet. <laughs> which is like, it sounds so specific and shallow because it's so specific. But there's something about the specificity of it that it's so cutting. God, that's beautiful. And maybe it's not specific at all. Because maybe what she's really saying is like, I'm out here trying to escape the judgment of God. And I keep bumping into people who are looking for the Lord, you know? Um, I don't know, dude. It's like, what, am I just going to quote songs this whole episode? Oh, God. But, um, yeah. I think maybe it is a little bit like prayer um which reminds me of that song by Bia Bia is a female rapper that's not as famous as she should be the best song by Bia is called First Day Out but but there's a song where she just goes what does she say she goes oh she goes crushing up the drugs with the same hands that I'm fixing to pray with which is um which is a an attempt to just marvel at the things that we all marvel at all the time which is just the variety of the stuff that we do it's just weird how there's such a big variety of the stuff that we do <clears throat> like even any individual we just do so many weird different things that it Sometimes it just feels like, how am I one person doing these different things? You know? The person at work and the person not at work. And that's, um, ooh, that makes me feel, remember, that makes me think of this feeling I get sometimes of like how, Maybe I always have like a bad feeling of fear in my heart. Excuse me. Burped. Haven't even, haven't even had any sparkling water yet. Already did a little burp. Um, what was I even saying? Oh, yeah. I, I probably always have a little bit of a feeling of fear and anxiety in my heart. Just darkness. And then sometimes... I just decide, and, and for the most part, I think I just hold it in my hand and walk forward. And sometimes it's big and I just 
swallow real hard and then I walk through the big dark feeling and I walk out into life and I just live my life. And I think that's probably how it's like for a lot of people that we just sort of like have to do stuff anyway, you know, like, yeah, we just want to curl up in a ball, but yeah, you can't do that. So you have to just kind of do stuff and then it's fine. But sometimes I go the other direction and I just curl up in a ball. Sometimes I hold the big black dark feeling in my hand. <laughs> I don't know why that sounded weird, but sometimes I just hold that feeling in my hand and I just almost step into it and I just sit inside of it and I'm just I just I'm just in fetal position in that feeling. And sometimes in those moments I get this weird fear like I will never be able to leave my house again. I will never be able to put the mask on again. Because I just cannot, I just cannot fathom that the person curled up in a ball. It's like sometimes if I wake up and I just feel bad and I'm in bed and I'm like literally in fetal position under the covers, I just feel like, how am I ever going to hose off this person laying here in fetal position? And how am I ever going to say anything in an assertive way ever again. And it's weird. It's super weird because like the reason there's this dissonance is like, because if you asked, I truly believe that if you ask anyone at my job, for example, they would all say that I approach the job that we have than me and like 11 other people have in there that I approach it with like more confidence than anyone else in there. I mean, that's, ooh, that's extremely self-congratulatory and like, I don't mean it like self-congratulatory. I just mean it like the fact that I have any confidence with any of it is crazy considering <laughs> where I, <laughs> considering the fact that I can approach it with a 9 out of 10 confidence at 5 p.m. is something to marvel at, considering that I start at a 1 out of 10 confidence when I wake up. You know, it's a thing that's, maybe it's more, maybe it's not every day. It's not, And honestly, it's like better now that I am sober. It's more, this is more a historical thing. We're like... Yeah, it's more a historical thing because it definitely goes hand in hand with um, not being sober. With like you do a little bit of drugs and then you can recede into this extremely sensitive state where you feel like the borders of you get smudged out and you just become this like really soft creature that thinks because because that that's the thing about it it's very fascinating to go in the other direction god damn it this is like the most abstract conversation that i'm starting this podcast with but whatever it's very it's fascinating and comfortable and like nice and creative to go in the other direction and to just not be confident about stuff and to just give up on everything and all and to take the mask off and to be completely honest about how bad you feel with yourself and to just sit there with that bad feeling. And then you can go really, really, really far with that and spend like days in your house in fetal position and actually be feel really creative and feel really soft and sensitive and then you can get really, really deep into the something there. 
And it can be so hard to fathom that you'll ever be able to put the mask back on and just go out into society and be like, hi, how's it going? But being sober is almost an a life of never really never really erasing those borders around yourself. Like being sober is almost always having the mask on, which is weird. Makes it sound like being sober is not good. But being sober is almost like you always have the mask on until you just feel confident. Until you wake up feeling confident. Like after a long time of sobriety, I have two and a half years of sobriety. After some period of sobriety like that, it's almost like now I wake up and I just feel confident. I wake up at a five out of 10 confident and then I take a shower and I'm at a seven. And then I drive over there and I'm like, I can drive a car? What is this? <laughs> what fresh hell is this? And then I get to work and I'm like nine out of 10 confident and I just, I just bust balls all day, you know? And maybe in a way the mask just fused with my face. And maybe in a way I feel more, uh, I felt there was something so honest about the suffering of just like doing a little bit of drugs here and there. There was something very honest about that, but it's also like, <laughs> what's the point of honest if honest is just like absolute, absolute hellfire suffering, you know? It's interesting though. It's interesting to admit that maybe getting wasted all the time is honest because, you know, sometimes we have those conversations. I've had those conversations with Javi where I don't know if he would want me to say this, but Javi, you know, Javi doesn't, Javi doesn't do drugs anymore, but Javi used to maybe do some drugs and there was maybe like one drug where he would do it and he literally would do it more and more. And when he did it more and more and more, he literally felt like he broke through into a different dimension and he would have to like come back to reality and take a breather and then just go back. And he would break through to this other dimension and he would literally always go to the same room. And it was like some shit, dude, it was some galactic federation. And like you talk to him now and he hasn't done like those drugs in a while. Like it's all like kind of years in the past. But he talks about it even now, like like a pretty good chunk of Javi thinks that maybe that was reality. That maybe the multiverse theory is real and maybe there's something in some crystal that he put up some fucking butthole of his. And maybe something there broke through the fucking... The fucking time, time squeeze, time space... Can't to squeeze, you know? And maybe he squeezed through. And maybe he got stuck and maybe he had to gnaw his own arm off. But he got through and he was talking to the Galactic Federation and, and they were like, you're not supposed to be here. Like, you're not dead yet. Like, you're not supposed to be here. Why are... Like, you're, you're just doing drugs. You're supposed to get here when you die. You're not supposed to be here yet. Go back. And they're like upset with him and he's like... But I, but I, but I want to know what's going on. And he's like, go, and they're like, go back, go back. And he always has to go back and he always ends up back on earth again. And he always would 
stick more crystal fucking something up his butthole and then be like back there interrupting the fucking meeting minutes. And the secretary is like, you're not supposed to fucking be here, dude. This is the Galactic Federation. And even now he's like, you know, Javi's a lot more sober and then <laughs> he's like, but that felt fucking honest. And in a way that was the most meaningful experience of my life. And I think it's meaningful to admit things like that. Is it though? It feels very guilty to say that like some wasted experiences I had were very important to me. That feels as a sober person in the program, going to meetings, it feels very, there's duality there. You know, I'm not supposed to say that, but that's the duality, you know? <clears throat> crushing up the drugs with the same hands that I'm fixing to pray with. That's what BS is. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. It's ridiculous. I used to feel that feeling a lot more. It's just, I think the journey used to be a lot bigger. Like when you, um, I think you can just, I, I actually don't think it's that abstract. I think if you have a human being and in the evening they like do a bunch of drugs and they're drooling and they're literally brain dead, for them to then be like, oh my God, I have a job interview tomorrow where I have to be completely lucid and have this like perfect corporate fluent mask on and speak with this like very specific type of lingo for a specific industry. I think it's very not abstract to to see how that's a very big journey to go from that drooling um you know high person to the person wearing a tie and um man i wish the english language had the word vattenkammad vattenkammad is a really nice swedish word which literally translates just to like water combed but it's just the idea that you just put water on a comb and you just comb your hair over with just water and then your hair ends up looking totally wet and flat down and I think it's actually cultural in the sense that I think you have to have Scandinavian really, really thin, fucking wispy, spiderweb thin, you know, hair like the voice of Elliot Smith. Because hair from any other culture, it takes more than just water. So maybe that's why it cannot be translated. Maybe it's culturally specific because... You know, when you're going to church in Sweden, everyone just fucking water combs their hair and then that's good. And then you just got pews full of people with totally flat haircuts. Flat, wet looking for that wet look, you know. But, you know, try that in sub-Saharan Africa and see. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, but yeah, job interviews is the thing that would give me that feeling a lot. Because it's just stressful. Like a job interview is stressful and um, I would, I would, that, that when the feeling of nervousness is so big, I, the, the, it would just consume me and, and I would then be even less. Like I would be a certain amount and then I would see that I needed to grow and be a little bit bigger and a little bit more confident. But the fear of not being able to do that would, would make me even smaller. 
until I was nothing. Anyway, on that note, let's drink a water. So today we are doing grapefruit. And you know, there's a fucking place in my heart for grapefruit at any point. Because this all started with grapefruit. Episode one of the podcast, I called Pompel one. And episode two, I called Pompel two. Because LaCroix calls grapefruit Pompelmus. Because that's what it's called in French. So today we're doing grapefruit. And, um... Yeah. Wonder what that guy's doing. Wow, I can't even remember his name. The guy I recorded episode one and two with. It's in there, though. See, this is why I need to do the podcast. I need to record things because I don't remember. I don't remember anything. That's why we got to hit record. Hit record Joe. That's the Instagram handle of Joseph Gordon. Love it. Um, so the first grapefruit we're going to do here, it's from a company called The Bitter Housewife. I fucking love everything about the branding of this one. So many of these, a lot goes into the branding and I can see how it's really good branding and it's like really cool and the graphic profile is really cool and like the copywriting, a lot of people, you know, worked on it. But this shit... I th- it's, it's like maybe my favorite just in terms of branding. The Bitter Housewife is such a fucking good name for a brand. I don't know. Is it that the, it's like that it's titillatingly maybe misogynistic? And I think that that sort of non-PC thing is interesting. And if that's the case, then I want to renounce and deject myself because I've had a realization that I think I should be more PC. And I think I should be more humble. And I shouldn't just assume that I have the answers to everything. I think certain things with like pronouns, using people's pronouns and stuff. I just think maybe I've had this shitty attitude about it. Like, like I have this thing that I say where like, some people call me Joey and I don't like it. And I've just adopted this attitude. Like, I don't think we're allowed to decide what people call us. So I just let people call me Joey. But maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I should tell people that they're not allowed to call me Joey and... I should use people's preferred pronoun correctly. I've I've noticed something that I've thought about with the pronoun thing is that there's an interesting thing with how older people, counterintuitively, older people are almost better at it than young people. People my age, people in their 30s, have this shitty attitude like, like, nah, we're very skeptical of that. Whereas older people, people like older than 40, they have this attitude like they don't, in real time understand what it is. So they're just going to accept it at face value. And it's just like not their generation that came up with it. People in their fifties and sixties, I know lots of liberals in their fifties and sixties who struggle. 
linguistically to use to people's preferred pronouns, but they try and they have no qualm, like they don't have any, they are certain that they want to do the right thing there. Whereas people in their 30s are like, mm, I don't know, there's a lot of caveats. Like, you're really going to have to talk, you're really going to have to explain to me why I'm supposed to use this pronoun on you. Because there's a thing where we kind of feel like we are part of the generation that came up with it. And so we feel a certain stake, like we feel like we have a right to say something about it. But it's like, that's a very weird feeling. That's a, I don't know that we should have that feeling. How did I get from one of the, one of those things to the other? Yeah. It's just also it's just it's just problematic that things that are wrong something can be wrong and funny. It's just that's just unfortunate, but it's just true. Like I've talked about that before uh of how like the Dave the newest Dave Chappelle special who knows what it's called. I don't know what it's called. But it's just there are things there that aren't right. Like, that's wrong. It's morally wrong. The things he says and the ideas he puts forward, they're just morally wrong. But it's fucking hilarious. Like, yes, this, like, there's punchlines, like, like, there's something about, like, uh, he's in the club and and some lesbian fella ste- steps up to him and, and starts talking shit and he just goes, he's like, <laughs> he's like, I, I, un, I unballed my fist and I, I spoke softly, lovingly, almost like a pimp would. And I said, bitch, I'm about to slap the shit out of you. And that thing of like those 100 seconds of the beginning to the end of that bit, it's like one of the most hilarious bits ever I've ever seen. But it's so not good. It's just not good. And and on some level, we just have to accept that that can be the case. Like, some things are just funny even though they're wrong. God damn it, that's a shame. Because the big thing that I think I've already said one time on the podcast in that special is like, Dave Chappelle has this big thing of how he said all these shitty things about trans people. And then he had a trans, a a friend who was a comedian who was a trans person. And that trans person always said, Dave Chappelle, you're all right. Your trans jokes are funny. It's all right. So he always felt like, nah, I got someone on the, on the inside telling me that it's all right. So he uses that to to say that to, to validate that he's not being a bad person. But then in the end of this story about this friend that he has, who's a comedian, who's a trans person, the end of the story is that that person kills themselves. And that person kills themselves because the world is a hateful place towards trans people. And part of the hate towards trans people is coming from Dave Chappelle. And he has no, he does not reflect upon the fact, there's no reflection there. He does not realize that he's part of that. He's not realized, he does not say in the special, oh, I realize that I am part of the problem and why that person committed suicide. He just says it as a sad thing that happened. As if it, as if that person just had some mental health issues, some vague, undefined, unnamed mental health issues that are completely devoid of context and that have nothing to do with the the hateful nature of um, the world towards trans people, you know? So I don't think that's cool, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> and now I'm praying that Dave Chappelle is listening to my podcast. So... Um, the brand is called the bitter housewife. 
um, you get it in this cool cardboard box and on the side of the box, it just says in like this bold, low weight, it's almost like the font impact, but it's all caps. And it's just like a real clean sans serif condensed font. And it just says, be bitterly honest. And it's just like, be bitterly honest is a, I don't know. It's just so fucking cool to me somehow. I don't know. I don't know why. So, so I'm going to now read the side of this can. A bitterly honest beverage, ruby grapefruit and earthy ginger balanced with bitter herbs, a touch of hops and zero sweet. Sparkling complex bitter. Oh, three, here's three adjectives. This is a new paragraph. Three adjectives. Sparkling, complex, bitter. Like you. A zero alcohol sparkling aperitif. Dude, I have to say that I fucking love everything about that. It's from Portland, Oregon, obviously. Zero sugar, zero alcohol. Only zero calories. All right, let's try this. Grapefruit. So it's bitters. It's a bitters company. They make bitters. You can pour them in sparkling water, but then they also have a pre-mixed one where you get a can um, of sparkling water that they put the appropriate amount of bitters in. And they sent me a can, a variety pack for free. Friends of the pod. The Bitter Housewife. Oh, fuck, that's very bitter. Oh, fuck, that's delicious. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Because it's bitter. You know how like a grapefruit, when you eat a grapefruit straight without sugar on it, sometimes you get one that's like a little bit extra bitter. And it can be so bitter that it tastes like just a mouthful of dirt. But it's fucking delicious. This is like that, and then you ride that dirt flavor all the way into cardamom. And you come out the other end and you realize that, oh, I just rode a roller coaster through a spice rack, my dude. Did it say cardamom? Earthy ginger. Oh, that's ginger. <sighs> now, the ginger is... Honestly, I made, there's a beverage that I talk about all the time on the podcast that we used to make at Sushi Kappa Tamura. I talk about it all the time. I never drink it. But today, for the first time in years, I made it. I went to the store. I got ginger. I peeled the ginger. I grated the ginger. And I took the, the grated ginger and I pressed it through a sieve to get the straight juice out of the ginger. I made the woman try the straight ginger juice because it's a absolutely otherworldly experience. Excuse me. Sparkling water burp. Drinking a tiny sip even of completely straight ginger juice is so sharp and painful and convivial. It's just like this zap all the way through your brain. 
And so I, I made the woman drink a little bit of straight ginger juice, but that's not the drink. What I made, I made a bunch of ginger juice, and then I took Udzu marmalade that you can buy on Amazon or in any Asian grocery store. You mix Udzu marmalade and fresh squeezed just ginger juice from ginger itself. And you pour hot water on it, and you mix it, and it turns into this bittersweet tea that is just the most wonderful, fresh delicious thing that's very good for nausea as a woman was a little bit nauseous you know um <clears throat> and um so gin so what i was gonna say is ginger is an incredible thing as a beverage but having tried maybe 10 sparkling waters with the word ginger on the can i still haven't found one where they can keep the freshness of it it, it it doesn't survive canning, I think. And this also, this is delicious, but not because of the ginger. The ginger doesn't, the snappiness of ginger does not survive canning. I'm going to be bitterly honest there. As much as this might be my new favorite sparkling water brand, having reviewed 200 of them, episode 71, I'm still going to say that the ginger, the ginger doesn't have much life. But the grapefruit is incredible, and there are so many herbs. Hops. Oh, that's also the bitterness. They did <laughs> They did take like five different bitter things, like grapefruit and hops. Yeah. It's a lot of earthy, bitter stuff in here. I mean, uh, that's incredible. That's incredible. That's a 10 out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10. I love that. <laughs> the bitter housewife. Hmm. That makes me happy. Dude, life is crazy, man. There's some... There's some crazy shit going on that I'm not ready to talk about on the podcast just yet, but life is crazy. But, um, yeah, what I have been feeling is I talked about this last episode and maybe I talk about it every episode, but it's like, I got to a point with realizing that I was maybe sort of using dating as a way to like get validation from the world. And then I realized that and I realized that and it took me like a long time to like uninstall that for my brain in a practical way <laughs> and also in a quite uh, secular way of actually uninstalling dating apps for my phone and everything. But it happened and then now it's been a couple of weeks and one observation is like <clears throat> I was like I was always in this sort of immature state I think of always needing validation and always looking for validation and, and kind of always making sure I got validation from just sort of different people in a shallow way. And then when I cut that off and just realized that like, I just have to like trust myself to be a person, which is really kind of the same conversation as what I was saying earlier about how the dark feeling just takes over and I don't believe in myself. It's the same confidence conversation maybe that I had already. Maybe what I'm about to say now is just the same thing again. But like, 
when I stopped getting like constant, uh, like a um, controlled trickle of validation from like women, and I just sat with myself, the thing that happened was that I suddenly felt incredibly insecure about everything, which is something I felt. And that, and I was saying earlier that it's like, God, I can't believe I haven't connected these things in my brain before. But I was saying earlier how it's like, it's a thing I used to feel before getting sober because I used to feel way more insecure and then I have to work up to being, feeling secure and confident about something. It would take me a while to work up to it. And that would be a thing before I got sober. And then since I got sober, it's like, it just got better and I'm just more mellow. But these last few weeks, as I stepped away from constantly being addicted to outside validation, I did just feel like, like all the solid things that I was standing up just sort of fell away. And I just felt so strangely, I could feel, as it was happening, I could feel that it was like a transitionary period and that it wasn't going to be like this forever. But in the moments, I felt like completely insecure about everything in my life. And I would, yeah, like, yeah. I just felt like all my friends hated me. I would go to work and I just felt like I didn't know how to do my job. I had some very, I had this one, dude, I can't remember if I talked about this on the last episode of the podcast, but I had this one interaction with the GM of the hotel where I work, where she complimented my sweater. I walk into work and I was wearing a sweater. Excuse me. And she, and my coworker complimented my sweater. And then at the same time, the GM came out of her office and looked at my sweater and said, I love that. I love that sweater. And then I got so nervous that I did not know how to just say thank you and accept the apology. And instead I started pacing back and forth and I just said these like totally fragmented sentences that made no sense. And everyone just looked at me like, oh God, this is awful to look at. He's so awkward about this. And I was like, oh yeah, well, I, you're a, I go like this. Yeah, well, you're like a style icon. That, that means so, uh, and then I'm just like, I was trying to say that it meant a lot to me that she said that. And it's just like, I didn't even say it. And it's like, oh, awful to look at. Awful. Just awful. Oh, God. Just like, bro, you're, you're a grown man. Just say thanks for the compliment. What's going on? What's going on? Who are you? Why, why you gotta be like that? It reminds me of, there's this one thing. There's this one thing that happened to me when I was probably like 16, when my, my dad and me were getting fucking hot dogs at the gas station. Because for some reason in Sweden, they had these little, um, 
It's basically like a trailer. Uh, it's like a food cart, but it's like pre-food cart. So it's really just a converted trailer. But maybe that's what a food cart is. Food truck, I mean. Maybe a food truck is just a converted trailer. But this really just looks like a trailer. And then they, they got hot dogs and hamburgers in there. And they, dude, I can't believe that I've never connected that. That's just a food truck. <laughs> anyway, and they always park them next to gas stations. Anyway, so my dad and me are getting fucking hot dogs. And you got to get this. You got to understand what's going on here. The What you get in Sweden... Oh, I must have talked about this 10 times. I wonder I wonder how much I repeat myself, but it's like what you get at the food truck, which is a converted trailer attached to a gas station that sells hot dogs and hamburgers. What you get is a rolled up piece of, it's a square piece of sourdough bread with little holes in it. Um, and so you get the square and they, they put a couple of dollops of mashed potatoes on there. And then they put this thing called shrimp salad, which is just like shrimp and maybe sour cream and like diced up radish. And it's delicious and it's shrimpy as fuck. And they do that and then like stick two hot dogs in there and then maybe some uh, relish and, you know, maybe some ketchup and mustard and shit. But so my dad and me are having some shrimp sa- shrimp salad doused, you know, hot dog rolls. And um, there's some girl, god damn it, this story is broken because I don't actually remember what she said. But this girl walks up to me, I'm 16 or something. And this girl walks up to me and she says something that shows that she knows me. And it's, she said something nice. She was almost like, I think my, she might've been flirting with me. And because she was like, said something nice, or was flirting with me. And I didn't know who she was. And she knew who I was just from school. Like we probably go to the same school and she knows who I am. And I don't know who she is. And she says something nice to me. And then if I was cool guy on campus, I'd just be like, Oh, that's nice. Oh, that's nice lady. I don't know who I'm cooler than because you know who I am and I don't know who you are. So implicitly I must be cooler than you. I would have just been cool about it like that. But instead I just made this sound. I was like, and I just like couldn't stop. And I just made that sound over and over. What? Just like dismissive sound loop. And it's like, and my dad, she like walks away and my dad just looks at me like, what the fuck are you? What just happened? And my dad imitated me back to me immediately. And I was like, wow, gulp. That wasn't very cool of me. And somehow a week or two ago with the GM of the hotel where I now work complimented my sweater, I reverted back to that 16 year old pimply little guy who couldn't take a compliment. Because I was going through a period of like complete dislocation and profound insecurity triggered by cutting myself off from all modes of like intoxicating validation. And that's what we're talking about here on this week's episode of This Week in Sparkling Water. This is this week's episode of This Week. It's sparkling water.
where we're talking through, we're talking through my problems. And we're talking through my problems. And it's a good time. And Asher says that the podcast is a, is prayer, but really it's just crowdsourced therapy in lieu of real therapy. Really, it's just me taking a picture of the skin condition and posting it on the internet and saying, what's this? This podcast is really just me taking a picture of the mole and putting it on the internet and saying, what's this? Which personality disorder is this? What do I do? What's this called? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God, I'm insufferable. It's insufferable to me, me, but I love it. (laughs) Oh, the bitter housewife. Bitters and soda, grapefruit. God damn, I'm excited. They sent me four different ones and this one. Oh, the thing about all them, you know, I've reviewed a bunch of grapefruits and the ones that I like the most are the ones where they aren't afraid to make it bitter. LaCroix is uh, just a, a whisper, you know? Again, it's the it's the spiderweb Elliot Smith singing whisper. Spider spiderweb thin. And and um it's not very bitter. But the good ones are are bitter and this is bitter, bro. Mm. The bitter housewife. You should go on their website and buy some. Yep. Um Yeah. So I was an hour late for work one day and um, it happened during my period of profound, obliterative insecurity. So I just, it ruined my week. I was an hour late because I checked the schedule wrong and I just never recovered for a whole week. And in this labor market, Every all the power is in the hands of excuse me, a little bit of a bitter housewife burp. All the pay all the power is in the hands of the employee, of the at will at will employee restaurant worker. Because it's a very tight labor market. So we have all the power. So people are treating our, our jobs, people employees treat these jobs with not a lot of seriousness. And sometimes, you know, five people are supposed to show up, only three people show up. We don't even check on the other two. It's just like, okay, people just don't show up. And then they show up the next day and no one even says anything. Because it's like, what are we going to do? We can't find anyone else. So that's how much they need people. And then me, I'm always there. I always give 110%. I'm so insecure. I just crawl in the dirt for validation from these people. I work so hard and then I'm an hour late one time and I just feel like that world is ending and I could never snap out of that feeling. And it's like, why am I like this? Why can't I compare myself to people I should compare myself to and just realize that I'm doing a mighty fine job and it's fine and I can just relax and I don't have to worry about it. Why am I so worried about it? 
Because I am. I am worried about it. It's weird because it coincided with the thing going in the other direction. Because, so as I've me- mentioned many times on the podcast, I uh, broke my foot six months ago, and it happened. I don't know if I've ever told the story on how it happened. Little Phoebe was turning three or four. It was Phoebe's birthday party. And things were falling apart a little bit in the world for all of us. And everyone else was drinking and I wasn't drinking. And I just got extremely fidgety and extremely anxious. And I just really felt like I needed to do something. And so when they had a kite to fly, I just got this idea with... Ice Boy Plumbing that I was going to build a kite. And so we built kites and then it took all day to build the kite. I cut a piece of tarp. I got sticks. I gave, made a frame. We got a long string. And then um, there was no wind when we were going to fly the kite. And um, me and Ice Boy Plumbing just ran. And I held the kite and he held the end of the string. And I just felt like I'll just throw it up into the air and it didn't work and we tried again and I was like there was a tree stump and I was just going to jump over this tree stump and throw it straight up and give it like 10 foot and then it was going to work even without wind and so I jump and I just gave it 110% in this extremely unprepared strange caution to the wind way where I don't even look what it looks like. I don't even check beforehand what it looks like beyond the tree stump that I'm running up on and jumping over and then flying out from. I don't even look at what the ground is beyond that. But it didn't even really matter because the ground was flat but and the ground wasn't malicious. The ground was being normal. But when I jump up... I just don't account for how this thing I've made, which is like a sail, I don't account for how it is like a sail and how as I'm jumping up with this, that the wind catches it and it just slams into my face, sort of, so I can't see anything. So as I'm flying through the air, this thing is just in my face. So when I land on the ground, I don't see the ground coming. So I just sort of crash into the ground and roll. And my foot rolled aggressively the wrong way. On, and my whole weight got on my right foot. And I just couldn't even walk afterwards. And I had two small fractures, but really I just sort of tore all the ligaments. And then they did recover. But it took like three months before I could walk real good. And then the thing that persisted four months later and five months later and stuff is like, it just always hurt at the end of the day. Because my job is to walk around briskly. So it always hurt at the end of the day, and then I um, I had to face this weird thing where, like, oh, this is one of those injuries, like a knee injury or, like, a spine injury or, you know, just one of these, like, major joints where you hurt it real bad in your late 20s or your 30s or whatever, 
And it's never going to be perfect again. It's never going to be that good again. And it's just like this weird thing where I honestly feel like there are two types of people. Like there are people that have had to face the fallibility of their physical body. And there are people that haven't. And maybe that goes for other stuff too, where like the fallibility of not just your physical body, but like the fallibility of something in your life. Some people haven't faced how that thing can fail. So they take it for granted. And it's like, I just was, until I was 34, when that happened, I just had never really had my body fail me in any meaningful way. You know, I'd gotten a sunburn. I'd had a fever. I'd been hung over every day for years. But um, all those things are things that I felt like it could just flick the switch and they'd go away. But when then, when I broke my foot and it just hurt, like, and I would sit at the end of the day and be like, fuck, my foot hurts so bad. And I'd think about it and be like, oh, it's been five months since I hurt it and it still hurts. And I'm like, huh. And then your mind does this thing where you project it onto infinity and so you just assume that I'm fascinated by this, actually. Why do we assume so? Why are our intuitions so wrong in so many different directions? Because when it comes to stuff with our bodies like that, the hypochondria kicks in and then you um, assume that it will continue forever and just get worse. But I play poker every Sunday with Ivan, Ivan the Adequate and the boys, you know, Rich, supporter of the pod. Love you, Rich. Um, you know, the boys, love those boys. Um, we play poker every week and I think about it a lot how when you play poker, you get two cards and it's just about finding a combination and hoping that you get a rare combination and whoever has the rarest combination wins. That's how. That's what poker is. So you get these two cards and the cards are very little information about what's the rare five-card combination that you're going to come up with here. But for some reason there, your mind just projects onto infinity and assumes like we as all, like when you start playing poker, everyone just assumes that you're going to get the best combination. Like you get a two and a three and you're like, oh, so I'm probably going to get a four, five, and a six. The next cards are probably going to be a four, five, and a six. And it's like, that's not very probable in a deck of cards that a four and a five and a six are going to show up. That's very specific. The probabilities of that, like when you pull five cards from a deck that three of them are four, five, and six, the probability of that is probably like 3% or less. I should really know the probabilities, but I don't. But it's just weird that why do we not assume the worst? Why isn't it when we have four of the five cards we need, why isn't it that we assume that we're not going to get the fifth card that we need, even though we're very close? Just like how with the body... I don't know. The point is that I like um, had to face the fallibility of my physical body and 
it was fucking devastating. And I think it's so gendered. Um, because I think women just live with more stuff that makes it harder for them to invisibly take for granted without even noticing that everything is just going to be fine in the body. Women just have this like, you know, it's God's cheesecake factory, you know? It's just a little bit of a cheese grater in there, you know, and... And it hurts. It hurts. Women women experience pain. I don't know. It just feels very gendered. But the weird thing that I was going to get to is like, if, I, if, if when I lost all sense of security after uh, cutting myself off from validation, if that had happened when my foot was still hurting... I would have projected that onto that. But then instead, randomly, Dr. Luke told me to buy this thing called a wobble board on Amazon. And I was doing this weird muscle building exercise where you basically you just balance on a board. A, it's a wooden board with a ball mounted on, on the bottom of it. And you stand on the wooden board and you have to balance. And you stand on one foot and it's your weak foot. And that just builds up muscles, all the little, um, the little gyroscope balancey inducey muscles and apparently i built up those muscles and the ligaments never heal but when you build up those muscles they um make up for the loss of ligament and now my foot's just fine my foot stopped hurting and it stopped hurting the moment and very very much coincided with when i um entered the period of insecurity and uh yeah, but so instead, man, I was talking to my buddy Sam about this, how she just had a couple of physical problems and then together with COVID and stuff, she just entered a new period of hypochondria and she talked about it, how it's just one of the most painful things to have intrusive, obsessive thoughts fleshing out all the worst possible outcomes of every part of your body and to just imagine the worst possible scenario all the time about your whole body. And it's just so bad. And I, I am terrified of that because I think I have lots of intrusive thoughts and lots of OCD stuff, but it's not really to the level of real OCD and it's not really that intrusive. And I just get kind of obsessive about weird shit and it's never really become OCD and it's never really been about physical ailments and stuff. So I'm just terrified of them, everything shifting over one step to the right and suddenly I have like debilitating hypochondria. Because it's not a big step, because I already like, um, like one of my, one of my toenails is like 
the big toe on my right foot, the toenail is like a little bit discolored. And I think it might be just that I, my shoes are too small, but the coloring is, it's a little bit discolored. And I just sort of, I look at it and I get this deep feeling of doom. Like, what is it that I feel? I feel like it's going to continue. I feel like it is going to continue forever. And I don't know what that means, but it's like a, what's the word in the TV show maniac, they talk about arborized realities and it's like arborization. They use the word arborization to mean, cause it just means tree, right? Like an arborist is a tree guy. Arborization does mean that it branches off a lot, but it's just such a beautiful word, arborization. And it's like, when I think about how my discolored nail is going to continue and it's going to be worse, it arborizes into like a thousand vague scenarios and none of them, I don't flesh any of them out completely, but I can just sense that there's probably a thousand possible realities of how this is going to play out and they're all bad. Like, you know, you lift your toenail and there's insects under there. Your toenail falls off. All of your toenails become discolored. None of these things I actually think about. All I know is that I look at it and for some reason I don't apply the happy-go-lucky assuming that everything will be really good in a way that's not realistic at all, like I do in poker. In poker, you give me a three and a four and I'm like... Looks like I'm going to get an ace and a two and a five, and that's going to be a straight. That's what I immediately assume. Why? Why do I assume that? Because I can't stop assuming it. The only way to not, um, I can't change my intuition. The only thing I can do is the Dan Kahneman thing of thinking fast and slow where if you're fast thinking, if you can tell that your fast thinking is wrong, you got to think slow. If you can tell that your intuition is wrong, you got to bring it up to the surface and think about it consciously and go the up and like figure out what's the actual calculation here. And you got to bring out the numbers and in poker, there's numbers. So we're going to do the next water here. Simple truth organic, or as I like to call it, STO, grapefruit, mango grapefruit. Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Seltzer water. Naturally flavored with other natural flavors. That's the merch I've never made. I want to make a t-shirt that says naturally flavored with other natural flavors. Because it's nonsense. And whenever something is nonsense in English, you know that there's been a lawyer involved. And you know that you're getting a raw deal. If you ever see a sentence in English and it's like, that doesn't make any sense. You know you're getting a raw deal. Okay. So the last one was like this difficult real journey that made a man out of you quick or it didn't. And it was an important moment in everyone's life. Anyone who drank the bitter housewife, that was just an important moment in your life. This is totally different from that. This is a drink that you want to drink and it's refreshing and it's light and it's got a touch of sweetness from the mango 
and it's got that crisp grapefruit that's not bitter. It's a sweet of grapefruit, and it's just like, fuck, that's good. Bro, is Simple Truth Organic from QFC and we don't have QFC down here? Is that what's up? That's kind of a shame. QFC is actually kind of good. QFC had a lot of good shit. Yeah, that's a 9 out of 10 because it's just delicious. It's just delicious. Anyway, I realized that my body was fallible. That's just gendered. Women all know that. And, uh, it reminds me of another thing because, um, Renee Reynolds, my old friend, a woman who 15 years ago in Shanghai, we would use a little voice recorder device and we would make up a made up radio show and and this is just like that and then I found out that today she is a podcast producer so both of us there with our voice recording device and our made up radio shows that was kind of a weird thing to do because I had a little voice recording device when I was a child when I was like seven and I would make like a made-up radio show when I was seven and that was a totally appropriate thing to do for a seven-year-old and then to do the same thing when you're 21 with your lover who's 10 years older and to just be in bed and just make a made-up radio show and a voice recorder that's suddenly like less normal (laughs) and then you do it in your attic when you're 35 and you call it a podcast does it get better? Um, I don't like the way that sounded. It's it's too much like I think I'm being funny. I know I'm not funny. I would like to scratch all of that from the record. The point is that Renee Reynolds had this thing that she said 15 years ago. She said it one time when it stuck with me. And she goes, if sex was the other way around where women stick something into men everything in society would be different. And it's one of those statements where like, I don't actually understand it. And that's why it fascinates me. Every time I think about it, I come up with a new answer for what does that mean? I don't know what it means. I don't know what society would be like if it was the other way around. I don't know what it means. There are a lot of, you know, when I was a teenager, I heard a lot of things like that, that was, that I didn't understand. And because I didn't understand them, I thought about them all the time. There was one that, which was like the first uh, messaging app that I was on was called app. It wasn't even an app. This was before the word app. It was software on a PC. It was called ICQ, three letters. It existed at the same time as people maybe used AOL in America, but on ICQ, you could write your name. And then there was a little thing under there where you could just write a thing. And it was like your slogan or your mantra or whatever. It was just like your little signature. 
and you it didn't it didn't show up until you clicked someone's name. And my friend Carl, as his signature, wrote. Let me see if I can remember. It's just the expression that I now know to be an expression, where it's like the early bird gets the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. And I read that when I was fifteen, and it was in English. And and I think one reason I didn't understand it was that it was in English, but I just also didn't understand it. And I thought about it every single day because of that. <laughs> and then now I get it. It's not that complicated. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if there's a worm and you're a bird and you go get the bird and you go get the worm, then you get the worm. But... Only some situations are like that where it's best to be the first one because if there's a mouse trap and there's cheese, then the first mouse actually dies and then it's not good to be the first one. It's actually better to be the second one. And that's the entire expression. Different situations are different is the lesson from the expression. And I just didn't understand it. I think it was mostly because my English wasn't there yet. Another one that I heard when I was like 15 that I didn't understand that made me think of it every single day was that my uncle and like my uncle's friend were talking about the internet and this is like in the 90s and everyone has a slow dial-up connection. And then they were saying how they were like, some people were getting faster internet connections. And then my uncle's friend said, yeah, some people are getting faster connections now so they have a faster internet connection. But when everyone gets a faster internet connection, then it will be slow for everyone. And I was like, what? And I thought about that every single day because <laughs> I was like, I just don't understand it. Because he, and it's just wrong. He just thought that there was like a finite, that there was a bottleneck somewhere. And if everyone has a, I keep hitting the mic. If everyone has a hundred megabit connection, then everyone will hit the same bottleneck. And I mean, maybe for a moment in the development of internet stuff, there was a bottleneck in some sense. And maybe it was like a little bit true in a moment, but, but it's just not true. It, that's one where I spent years trying to understand it. And I didn't understand it. And now I just understand that it just, there was nothing to understand there. It was just wrong. But, um, yeah, Renee's thing was that she said that if, if sex was the other way around and women were sticking something into, if girls were sticking something into boys, then everything would be different. Everything, she was like, everything about like invading, everything about like taking over, everything about asserting dominance, it's all just a continuation of the most basic act of human necessity and reproduction, which is the man sticks something into something and the woman is the something. The woman is being stuck into. And she's like, yeah, and that's the explanation for all the gendered things and everything. That's what she said. Renee Reynolds. And it's probably true. Like there is something, one angle of it is like, 
I think that there's something that I don't know a woman who I haven't broached this subject with a woman who didn't agree with it, but like all women seem to be in agreement that there's some thing. Oh, I hate talking about sex on the podcast. There's some mingling of pain and pleasure for women. Like women like it when it almost hurts a little bit. And I think that's something that men just do not understand. And then there's some continue. Yeah, I don't know. I hate talking about sex on the podcast. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, this is supposed to be a Christian podcast. Simple truth organic. Oh, I'm out here looking for the Lord. And you guys want me to talk about slapping girls' butts and stuff and how they like it. And I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> That's like like in prayer when you convince yourself that you're actually in conversation with some someone and you're like, God, God, I pray for you to stop putting sexy men that I want to have sex with in front of me and just let me be with my wife, God. Why do you? Why do you do this to me, God? Yeah. Women. Women have things stuck into them and they experience pain and they're acutely aware of the fallibility of their own bodies. And me, it wasn't until I was 35 years old and part of my big toe toenail got a little bit purple that I realized that I'm not going to live forever. Because I'm a moron. It's actually, um, God. Not that I'm in the business of recommending books to anyone, but the book, The Second Sex by, by Simone de Beauvoir, is um, absolutely wonderful. And it just talks about, it's written as like a facts about gender kind of books. It's written about, it's written like a, she really, really studied it and found all these differences in animals and how different gendered animals interact with each other and habits of different animals and in different cultures and between humans and history and blah, blah, blah. Just like a very well-studied academic text. Excuse me. But she writes it and she just sprinkles in these like absolutely beautiful adjectives here and there where she's just like, she just like gives it life in this way that's just so painfully beautiful and just adds this other layer of writing on top of like, she writes about monkeys and how they fucking interact or some shit and how the man is and how the woman is. But then she sprinkles in this like editorializing with it and it's just like, wow, incredible. No wonder Sartre wanted to have... I don't wonder she got to be the girlfriend of Sartre. Anyway, another thing I would recommend is the movie The Border. 
because it's a movie where I watched it without knowing anything about it, and that's the best way to watch it. But it's a movie where two things have sex, and it's the only time since Renee Reynolds said that thing to me where that thing has then again been presented to me. Because in that movie, sex is had, and it is with bodies where the woman... the man is being stuck into and not with something as but not with anything artificial that's how sex is had in that movie and it's actually part of that conversation it's part of that it's a it's a it's something like that where those creatures do it like that and then that's why they are more enlightened Those people had the same thought that Renee Reynolds had. The people who made the movie The Border. It's a Swedish movie. Grensen. No. Yeah, Grensen. That's what it's called in Swedish. Wonderful movie. Wonderful film. Spooky. Spooky and wonderful. Um, I think we got to wrap this up, but um, the big thing in my life right now is that I have to stop saying so many mean things about people, including on the podcast. Is it sometimes warranted? I don't know. Where does the line go? The thing is that I say mean things about people. I look for their flaws and I zoom in on their flaws and I make fun of their flaws and I revel and marvel at their flaws and their character defects. And then I practice that voice so much, that voice of negativity, that when I turn my attention inward and think about myself, out of sheer habit, all I do is find flaws still. I just become a flaw-finding machine. And it is a miserable way to live. And then I become mean towards myself, and then I become unhappy, and then that unhappiness comes out as even more meanness towards other people. And it's no way to live, I tell you. So we're going to not say mean things about other people anymore, especially on the podcast, because this is a public space. And you should hold me accountable. And if God, if you're out there, write something in the comment section, you know? Strike me down with lightning, because that's God's comment section, you know? Lightning. This is Signature Select Italian Mineral Water. What do they mean by Italian? Is the water from Italy? What does that mean? Product of Italy, huh? Bottled at source by La Galvanina. S-P-A. Yep, in Rimini. S-P-A. That's, that's probably Italian for LLC. In Swedish, it's AB. Akchibulog. Is, is AB and LLC the same thing? No, none of them are exactly the same thing because every legal system is a little bit different. But this was bottled. Point is that this was bottled in Italy. 
sparkling with carbonation added. Bottled at an ancient Roman spring in the heart of Italy. Imported from Italy. Wow, it says Italy uh, three times in this very small box. And fourth, a fourth time up here in the next box. Okay, so what we can learn from that is that Italy is a strong brand. Americans love Italy. Is what we now know. Grapefruit. Is it just grapefruit? Yeah, grapefruit flavored. Somehow it tastes a little bit like Swedish sparkling water. Like, is the water different over there? Yeah, that's a very boring flavor. That's a very boring flavor and a very lazy bubble. That's a very, very lazy bubble. Yeah, that's a 2 out of 10. That's so... How do you mess up grapefruit flavor just... Whatever, that makes me mad, whatever. Two out of ten, signature select. Fuck those guys, this time. Sometimes their shit is good. Um, I love you guys and thanks for listening.